The Truth or Politics Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3, The Atlantic Article. It is a reasonable question to ask uh, why people who have had direct exposure to Donald Trump, who know what Donald Trump has said, who know what Donald Trump has done, uh, won't simply come out and, and say it. And uh, I, I share that view that it's not good enough. The truth will set you free At least that's what I've been told I said the truth will set you free At least that's what I've been told I've got misinformation on the left and right of me And in the middle, a truth to behold This is the truth You want the unabated truth Robert really wants to sing, but his voice isn't as good as Bradley's Maybe that's the best I've sounded yet, man. I, I really stunk up the room when I tried to <laughs> sing some of that on myself. Really? Yeah, I did. I did. I was, I was like, oh, man, when did I ever have a decent voice? I don't know. Probably uh, church choir, fifth grade. That was about it. That was the peak. <laughs> Where? Uh, wh- why are we doing this recording tonight, Bradley? Got a question for you. Why are we doing it tonight? Um, I don't know. Why are we doing it tonight? It, did, uh, did something go wrong last time? Well, something didn't go right. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Tip for all future podcasters. If you're not recording directly to your computer, in this case, I'm recording to uh, Skype. I'm, I mean, I'm using Skype, but I'm not recording into GarageBand, which I'm eventually going to use to edit it. And I have a external uh, digital recorder that needs to be uh, pressed so that it records. And um, yeah, so I can see all my levels. I can see the microphones. But if I don't press record, it doesn't want to do it. And and as, as happened uh, the other night, was it just last night? Is that what it was? Or was it two nights ago? Two nights ago. Last. Yeah, I had to like have another day to get over my misery. Um, we talked a, uh, a good amount, I'd say two hours, uh, is what we got on Skype and it was all lost. <laughs> and, and, and the night before that we were going to record, but I was so tired. I was like, dude, let's just talk on the phone for 10 minutes. And next thing I knew we, we got off the phone after like an hour and 17 minutes. And so I hope we're not talked out <laughs> on this particular topic. Uh, we do have some audio that uh, um, Sean and Pat has sent in to us, and we'll be able to play that so that some feedback that people have given us based on the uh, Facebook site that we have. So that's fantastic that we've got that we can add to this. But tonight we're going to cover the Atlantic article. And, um, you know, uh, that's what we're doing. We, we did it earlier. <laughs> we're just going to do it again. This time you guys actually get to hear it. Um, Bradley, what's going on with you? 
Well, uh, unlike the other night where I had a nice warm cup of tea and some uh, some crumpets to go with it, tonight my diet consists of a uh, Coca-Cola and some Vienna sausages. So much different tonight. So I don't maybe I won't be as calm, cool, and collected as I was the other night. So if I go off the handle. <laughs> Uh, you know why i'm I'm gonna set you up already and and if we ever pulled anybody from the uh, twilight zone podcast you'll know that i like to throw out a little german every now and then and so the the vienna sausages that you have are actually vienna, vienna. sausages oh this is yeah yeah vienna yeah I, I will make more mistakes than just um uh not pressing the record button <laughs> but that doesn't make up for Oh, man. I'm never going to let that one down, I tell you. Okay, so uh, everybody knows, for the most part at this point, uh, if you're on the Facebook site or you're just tuning in for the first time, that we threw um, an article on there, and it was this Atlantic article that Jeffrey Goldberg had written about Donald Trump. And and I actually put another article on there, too, that was related to um, some information. And I just use both of them as examples of journalistic, you know, reporting. And uh, in the first case, well, Bradley, what did you think about the the one that was by Goldberg when we first saw it? What did you think about that? Um, I mean, first I thought it seemed more like a hit piece more than anything. Uh, anytime I say the term anonymous sources, I sort of automatically pull my guards up, and maybe that's. Uh, that's just on me and maybe I should be more open-minded, but, but in today's world and today's world of politics, especially, it's sort of hard to take, take something seriously for me anyway, unless I see, uh, exactly where it's coming from. So at first I thought it was just basically a hit piece. Um, and then the more I read it and the more information that came out about it, I sort of started, uh, you know, sort of second guess my first, uh, instincts. Um, what do you, what do you think, Robert? Well, this, this is going to, I'm going to come right back to our notes on this and I, I skipped them, but not on purpose, but I, I love your answer because, um, the, the question I have for Bradley and I'm going to answer it for myself first, but the question is like, why did you get involved with this particular podcast with me or the title or whatever you want to call it? And for myself, um, I'll say that you know, I've been chomping at the bit to do something like this for quite a while, mostly because I'm just kind of confused about what is the truth when we hear these stories that come out or we read these stories that come out and, and what is the way that I can do it? I mean, I'm aware of media bias. We've talked before about the allsides.com. Uh, media bias chart that goes, you know, hard right to soft right to center. And then again, soft left to hard left. And at least that's the way I'm describing it now. And, and I think what was great about the Facebook site and really starting this conversation for us for the podcast was that we did get, and, and again, our, um, our MO for the Facebook site for this podcast is that we have civil discussions uh, civil discussions about these particular topics. So we recognize people's bias and, uh, we are not going to make that be the, the reason why we're discussing these topics. We all want to try to get to the truth. And what ended up happening is we started getting people adding to the conversation. They found other sources 
and we saw um, what they had um, pulled on there. We read those sources and, and, and continued with the conversation. And it really took a while for us to kind of get to the bottom, so to speak, of this article and finding the information. And, you know, in all honesty, it, it's going to take even longer probably still before we really ever get to the end of this. But it's been days now that this thing's been out. And we're still sort of talking about it and mulling it over. So um, that's a big reason for me, and I'm so thrilled why we're doing this. Um, Bradley, why did you get involved with the podcast to begin with? Um, I've been involved in politics. Ooh, I was involved probably throughout college, especially uh, even after college, involved in various campaigns from a local level to a national level. Um, and I thought I knew, you know, what I thought I knew what was going on, but then I started meeting people and, uh, you know, things are a lot different, uh, when you know people personally, then, uh, I, I don't know, people play games politically, people play political games and it's just, it's all, it's all just sort of a game to some people and the way they treat it. And that eventually that's why I got out of politics was just the way that the game was played. Uh, you know, sort of like the old saying, uh, you, you know, it's all right to eat sausage, but you really don't want to see how the sausage is made. And after seeing how the sausage was made, I just took took a couple steps back, uh, pulled a Pontius Pilate, washed my hands of politics, and I said, I'll vote and all this stuff. And if there's local elections or especially, uh, you know, a lot of if, if there's any tax issues or anything, you know, I, I might get involved with the campaign for that. But as far as candidates go, unless I really really support the candidate, I probably won't openly campaign for him. So, and then once this came up, came up, it was sort of like a breath of fresh air because it's a different, it, it's a political, I guess, endeavor, but it's not political at the same time because it's more, if it's not really opinion based, I mean, we're going to give our opinions definitely, but we really just want to cut through the, cut through the bull and find the truth among everything. And that, that was really our, Going, I think out of all the names we went through, the the word truth definitely needed was probably took more precedent than the word politics. I would say. <laughs> yeah, that that's fantastic, man. And, and I know you had shared with me at one point that you had had some, uh, let's say, some grassroots political um, background, and and I really have never thrown my hat into the ring with with many of those things, and it's more a matter of. Um, just, just being interested and, and, and just briefly here, I think what actually got me to start thinking more critically when it came to news stories actually was having my, uh, professor of one of my, um, exercise physiology classes who was a writer, um, tell us about the way that news stories get done in his particular field, which was health science. And, you know, and there's a lot of con artists and, um, you know, snake oil salesmen when it comes to trying to make health claims and get your money to make you skinny and pretty and, you know, fit and all those types of things. And he just laid down for us kind of the way that um, articles are written to begin with. And then especially when research articles come out. Um, what you have to look for in the, the verbiage of the research article. And that really kind of set me on a path of critically thinking 
um, about what I read. Now I already had an English degree and I, and I did a little bit of this on my own anyway, but it made me question my sources a little bit more. And actually a former, uh, coworker also who had already had her, um, exercise science degree and I hadn't gone for mine yet. Um, when I was trying to tell her about some great little, you know, you know, book that I was reading, she immediately asked me what were the sources of the book. And, and that kind of like put me on a whole nother level. So I think this type of podcast, uh, absolutely is a political podcast, um, politics in the sense of where do you fall in the spectrum of where you want to spend your money to get things done. And I think that's kind of the way it all boils down to who do you want to support that type of stuff. But for me personally, long story short, um, I have uh, a history of um, really being in the middle on almost everything when it comes to politics. I have two older brothers. Uh, one is an, an artist and a conscientious objector. Uh, I have another brother who was also a really good artist, but was a, is a now a retired policeman. And uh, as far as my parents go, uh, my dad, he's the one that probably influenced the whole artist side of things, was uh, in the Army, was stationed in Nuremberg, uh, was there after the uh, World War II trials. But um, he wanted to be an art curator, but he also ended up being a, a chaplain's assistant while he was in the Army, came back with his sociology degree, and became a minister, an ordained minister. Uh, now, my mom was a teacher, and uh, but her uncle actually was the last Republican mayor of Louisville. And so now I have this uh, social uh, sociology slash minister dad you know, with influences and my mom also having a, a family with a staunch Republican background. And as a matter of fact, during one of the most critical times in Louisville, before all of the Breonna Taylor things that have happened now, um, we actually had um, my dad marching with um, Martin Luther King Jr., um, on the city streets while my mother's uncle was in the mayor's office. And, uh, you know, and, and politics was never a huge discussion at the table. My dad never crammed religion down our throats. He never crammed, um, you know, his sort of liberal agenda down our throats. And my mom never did the same, did, did the same thing with her side of things. And it really um, allowed me to make my own choice. So um, no way I can make that long story short anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, but, hey, but that, but I mean, that is a super interesting background, and uh, um, I know you talked about uh, having an English degree. I think the the main difference between having an English degree and having a journalism degree is an English degree is really about the communication of the language of you know, whereas I think journalism is more about the manipulation of the language, mm. and maybe that's just a. Just my my opinion on that, but I, I think everybody likes to spin their story their own way, as we will definitely find out through this podcast. But uh, you know, you don't see uh, many families like that anymore because I think nowadays everybody sort of lets all their baggage out, no matter what the political beliefs are, far left, far right. Whereas I think I think there used to be really a generation where you didn't talk about your pop political beliefs, you know. You read, I mean, you might have took the train, you know, took the metro, read the paper every day, and you had your own opinions about stuff. And when you got in the when you got in the ballot box, you know, and you voted, that was when you let your voice be known. But there wasn't really a public discourse 
uh, I guess, as, as far as uh, negativity went, and, and I'm sure that there was to some extent, uh, especially with like the with the MLK marches and Malcolm X and uh, that whole that whole their whole uh, their whole I guess discourse is such a fascinating study in itself. But I guess as far as a person, you know, on a daily basis between people, it just put politics never really seemed to come up. And I could be 100 percent wrong on that, but it seems like it things are a lot different now. Maybe it's because we have social media where everything is out in the open and we're more connected than we've ever been. Yeah, I, I still remember, uh, you know, one of the professors that I love to quote his um, uh, thing he would say on, on a test day. And I think it was sort of to tease us, but as a teacher uh, that I did, was uh, for a very short-lived amount of time, and then also as I've taught in non-traditional ways, um, his uh, way that he would call his tests were celebrations of knowledge. And I, I still remember him, though, when I was at a, a program for a summertime uh, with some students, he um, was uh, just very uh, kind of upset about email and how email was disrupting um, regular conversation. And you wouldn't call anybody anymore to talk about things. You would just write all these emails, and then it just it kind of drove him nuts. And, uh, and I've, I've spoken about him other times before, but, um, yeah, I, I think the, uh, you know, the, the social media grew out of just simply the internet, obviously. And one of the first ways that people communicated was just simply email back and forth, um, you know, was still kind of like writing letters and, but, you know, uh, we, we all can see what social media does now. And, and honestly, I think when, we first put the articles out on the Facebook site and people were responding to them. Um, I, I felt a tug on me to not want to respond because I knew I didn't know enough yet about the whole situation. And, and then when I think you Bradley asked me a couple of times what I think about certain articles. And I know we had Perry who was on there who, who provided some things and other folks who joined in, you know, eventually I joined in and, and said some things and then I realized I really didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, Oh no, I have got to read more about this. So there, I, I, I guess to wrap up our intro here and, and sort of our talking about various things. Um, I, I feel a, it's a good sense of pressure, but man, I feel a pressure, um, for doing this podcast and really wanting to get things right. Um, however, though, uh, what relieves some of that pressure is actually having listeners who will, uh, hopefully not troll us, <laughs> but will join in the conversation and help us all understand what's, what's happening in these topics that we're talking about. And so I think it's a good time for us to get to our second segment. And this is just what we'll typically do when we talk about words, and we're going to play a little bit of our words music for you, and then we'll jump right into what our word is. My favorite word is the word. The word. Isn't it a beautiful word when you think of it? It just covers everything. The word. <laughs> I know words. I have the best words. Words matter a lot. And I got the point across.
right. So there's our little uh, bumper that Bradley put together. So, uh, Robert, as you mentioned, uh, the Internet uh, has gave us a lot of a lot of great things. You know, Al Gore did a really good job when he came up with that idea. But one thing that that it has given us is an online dictionary, uh, which dictionary used to be be very large books, kids that you had to have physically. But now it's all in the palm of your hand. Um, What is today's word, Robert? Corroborate. Uh, of course, it is spelled C-O-R-R-O-B-O-R-A-T-E, but pronounced corroborate. And that particular word simply means that you're going to confirm or give support. And that's going to be two things like statements, theories, or findings. And uh, why would we pick that particular word, Bradley, as our word for today's podcast? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's got Rob right in the word there. So I think that, oh, was, oh that's not what he chose, was it? Um, well, of course, uh, especially with an article like this that has gotten a lot of people talking on the right and left in order to uh, corroborate different articles and news stories, you really have to have sources. And so there's been a lot of talk whether the, the corroborating uh, anonymous sources are real. If they're fake, uh, Trump's weighed in again, um, which I don't know if I posted. I, I need to, but we'll probably play that audio as well. But just basically journalists have to have sources. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, we we put it in there because I, I think what, um, oh, well, so to, to get back to you, I don't think I've even said the title of the article at this point. So we should make sure that we say that title. I'm going to scroll down here. So we're talking about the article by Jeffrey Goldberg. Uh, Jeffrey Goldberg is the editor in chief of the Atlantic. And this is his title. uh, Trump Americans who died in war are losers and suckers. And I'll just read you the first paragraph. The president has repeatedly disparaged the intelligence of service members and asked that wounded veterans be kept out of military parades. Multiple sources tell the Atlantic. And we'll stop it right there because, you know, it, it for, for both us and the reason why I put this article in the Facebook site is we're like, okay, so where are these multiple sources? And, and it really uh, hit us kind of hard um, initially, not because, um, you know, being fans of Trump necessarily. I mean, that's, Definitely not my my particular slant on things, but I just didn't feel like it was fair to say something like that and not name them all. And and then that's when I guess the firestorm of more information eventually came out. How did you feel about that article? Again, I think we kind of said this, but when it first came out, Bradley, what were you thinking? Well, um, you know, I've sort of gave some of my thoughts, but it was in order to have anonymous sources, uh, you know, a lot of times there's an anonymity there to protect them. So that led me to believe that they are probably still involved some way in Trump's cabinet or that they possibly uh, still have some sort of involvement and in, in ties that may, you know, affect somebody else or even the freshness of, uh, you know, one person in particular, and this is me stepping down a limb. This is not, this is more politics than truth here. But this is opinion of myself. Uh, Kellyanne Conway left recently, uh, maybe a few, maybe a week and a half ago. She did. And I'm, 
and I'm not naming her as a possible, I'm not naming saying she did, but that could be a possible source because it was sort of weird because her and her husband sort of already have a weird dynamic where he's so anti-Trump and she worked in the cabinet and he was sending tweets to, to just bashing Trump. Like it, it was pretty awkward just to watch this, this happen on a public forum where the, you know, this woman's husband is just bashing her boss on, on Twitter saying he needs to be fired, ousted. And then this has been going on for years. I mean, pretty much Kellyanne Conway was Trump's right hand woman for the longest time. And he, and she seemed like she'd stick with him through thick and thin. And, uh, even to, even to the, I guess, to the disparagement of her, her and her husband's, uh, relationship and how he treated Trump. And then eventually she just sort of left. And then the article drops about a week later, two weeks later. Um, I'm not too, too keen on what the timeline was, but that sort of seemed weird to me, suspect maybe. And, uh, one, one of the things I'll probably say a lot is perception is reality and perception doesn't necessarily mean that it's still, that it's something that's true though. Um, but, but to me, the perception of her leaving, and then this article dropping, and then her being named a source is sort of weird. Uh, that's that, that's kind of amazing. I, I sort of had that in the back of my mind, but hadn't um, really thought of it. So I, I think it's fair to say that you know when we have a theory, um, we're, we're speaking uh, you know from our own opinion. But uh, it's always good when we sort of back that up with a few examples of things. So that's that's pretty interesting. I wonder what the rest of the listeners would think about that too about the exit of Kellyanne Conway. And, uh, and I do believe she was one of the first ones who had to say, uh, along with Sean Spicer, the, when they talked about the number of people that attended the inauguration, that she's the one who had to talk about the alternative facts. And, and that did, you know, with her husband, certainly I'd seen the, the comments that he had made. So that's really good, Bradley. I, I like that you did that. Well, I tell you what, let's let's jump into some audio that I have of an interview that uh, Jeffrey Goldberg had has done, and he actually um, addresses some of these topics about uh, the sources. So I think it's pretty fascinating that they went that route with that. So I'm going to go ahead and, and play that one. Oh, hey, terrific. Mel Charter. Hi, Mel. Hey, hey, where's your name tag? You gotta have a name tag. <laughs> I'm not a regular passenger here. I'm a reporter, see? A reporter? Oh, you mean like the fifth column, huh? Uh, uh, no, the fifth column was a Nazi spy ring. If you mean the press, that's the fourth state. Oh, yeah, right, right. Hey, have a hit. Uh, no. No? Oh. Hmm. All right. Listen, I already made the whole tour around the ship and back again. Yeah. And it's the usual breakdown, see? You got 40% divorced, you got 50% deceased, and you got 10% delightful. <laughs> now, that's a difference that we're interested in. The, the, I want to talk about the sourcing here, and I obviously know there are anonymous sources that you are protecting, and so I don't want to, like, say, well, was it this person, was it this person? But, it, but in a general sense, I had two reactions uh, when I read the piece. Um, one was, what, okay, why didn't you tell this bef- us this before, and why not be on the record? Uh, whoever, whoever you are out there, I mean, this, this is what you're saying here is very serious stuff. It's, it's an incredible condemnation of the president's character. I think it just his humanity, honestly. Uh, what, what's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And obviously I push and obviously I, I know that other reporters who cover 
uh, this area are pushing various people to say what's on their minds. Um, I think there's a couple of things. There's um, this idea of uh, of a code um, that you know you don't interfere. They're, 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 I think people are torn. On one hand, they don't want to interfere in electoral democratic electoral processes. On the other hand. Um, there, you're talking about a president who is something unlike they've ever experienced. Um, I think there's also fear. Uh, I think, and, and we see this across the board in in Donald Trump's Washington. There's a fear on a kind of a superficial level of of a Twitter mob. Um, there's also real fear of personal safety, fear for your family, a fear for what you'd put everybody around you through if you started talking about this sort of thing. And um, these are people just like other people, and, and they have this anxiety. It is a reasonable question to ask uh, why people who have had direct exposure to Donald Trump, who know what Donald Trump has said, who know what Donald Trump has done, uh, won't simply come out and, and say it. And uh, I, I share that view that it's not good enough. Um, but, you know, like other reporters, I'm always balancing out the, the moral ambiguities and complications of anonymous sourcing with a public's right to know. I mean, the sources are not anonymous to me. Jennifer Griffin uh, said right. that from, from Fox News when she was challenged. Um, and I trust these sources. Um, these are people in the various rooms. And uh, But, yeah, obviously it would be better if people would say, attach their names to what they know. Final question for you. Um, you said something, I think, over the weekend about there being sort of, you expect there will be more reporting in this vein. Obviously, there's been a lot in the aftermath of your story in, in the yeah. Atlantic. Since I said um, there's been some. What, what do you mean yeah. by that? No, I mean, I, mean, I mean just that. I mean, I know that there are a lot of reporters um, uh, moving around on this story, people with excellent sources, people who are excellent reporters. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you, again, there's this surprising, uh, there's this sort of shocking but not surprising quality to all of this. Um, this discourse uh, that, that Trump has about uh, about soldiers, about the military, is no secret to anyone who's spent any time with him. It's no secret to, to the military at the highest levels. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just know of reporters who are trying to figure out uh, other aspects of this, and um, I expect more reporting on this and everything else in the coming couple of months. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that interview. Um, yeah, I mean, if he says that he has, uh, I mean, that's a game changer. If he says that he's that he has uh, knowledge of the sources personally, I mean, that that sort of, I guess sways it more to the truth side than than the politics side I right and you know and I've, I, I've heard from other people in other conversations that you know Goldberg is a very well respected journalist um, now you know obviously somebody who leans pretty far on the right when we talk about bias probably is not going to be that um, you know uh, trustworthy that trusting of something that's going to come out of there especially if they're a staunch Trump uh, supporter and and I think the thing that um, was really interesting to me, again, as he is saying, is, you know, absolutely, I want to have somebody come out and say that, um, you know, I, I am so-and-so and so-and-so who's in the cabinet or wherever I am, and I personally saw this happen. But but you know what? I mean, I if I go back to the... Um, the impeachment hearings, there were so many people 
who did testify and say that they had conversations with um, Donald Trump that um, were, you know, the, the likes of which would have gone to this quid pro quo thing. And, but it, it's still overall in that process, um, you know, and we can, this is for another podcast later down the road, but in that process, you know, you had essentially the, the, the intelligence agency's report, you had the uh, Congress's um, hearing that they had, and then that went to the Senate. And essentially you had a Congress that's led by the Democrats and a Senate that's led by the Republicans. And in the end, you know, yes, um, Donald Trump went through the impeachment process, but he did not lose his job. And, and you can certainly see how that's, you know, quote unquote, a democratic process because we have our, our, you know, our, our bodies, our legislature who are hearing this, but it's also basically kind of a, a majority rules um, type of situation where you've got more Democrats and in one place you got more Senate and the Senate has the final say and all the things that people came out and said and put their sort of reputation on the line. I'm not saying it didn't matter because clearly some people are concerned with that, but it still didn't get an end result that maybe some people were looking for. So now that we have this article by Goldberg and people are coming and telling him, you know, he says that he pushed to get these kind of answers. Um, they're giving him this information and it comes out and it's very, you know, detrimental to Trump. If people believe that, especially the ones who have supported him in the past, um, you know, but for me personally, I'm still, I guess I'm kind of jaded from a lot of these things and, and still think, I mean, this, this is a worthwhile article again, if it is the truth and it sure seems like it's leaning that way. And, um, the other part of this, and, and sorry, I'll, I'll stop for a second, Brad, let you say something. So I don't dominate everything. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it's sort of weird when you have Goldberg coming out and saying this, and then you have somebody like, uh, John Bolton who wrote the book against Trump coming out and saying that it's all, uh, you know, none of it's true. I mean, it's, we're in such a weird political time, uh, and you, and you talked about the whole aspect of it's a it's a political game impeachment is I mean it really has to be an egregious uh, an egregious thing to really get somebody impeached and I think one thing that Nixon did and and that Trump didn't do and of course I wouldn't I don't think anybody would have tried, advised Trump to do it in the situation he was in but Nixon just resigned and he didn't put anybody from the Republican Party in that situation uh, and I think that was, of course, he he. There was a that was probably a very minuscule reason, but one reason that Nixon resigned was to simply just sort of save part of the Republican Party from the falling on the sword and and voting against his impeachment, you know. Uh, but but of course that was very very small small point of that. Of course, there's there's more of the self uh, engrandizing aspect of it and him not wanting to look like a crook. But anyway, enough about Nixon. I just wanted to throw that in there. But I meant. In, in today's political world, I mean, it really is either you're 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 on the right or you're on the left. I mean, it's sort of hard to be a moderate. Uh, it's hard to be in the middle. Yeah, be, yeah, no doubt. Or because then you, it's it's sort of like it's sort of like, it's sort of like being in the middle of a food fight. You know, on the right and the left side, you you really don't want to throw the food, but you're getting hit with the food from both sides. So it's pretty much like, well, if I'm, I need to at least be on one side or the other. So at least I'm I'm sort of not getting hit by as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. I, I think back, cause I know we've, I've got, um, 
some uh, actually uh, some some fraternity brothers who have said some of our comments that we'll play eventually. And I, I can recall being the pledge trainer for our fraternity. And at one point, one of the actives um, saying that um, they didn't understand whose side I was on when I was the pledge trainer because I spent almost as much time or more yelling at the actives as I did yelling at the pledges. <laughs> and, and, and it's just, it's, oh, it sounds like me so much now that I think about it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, what do you do when you, you know, want to see the truth and, and you do um, understand that some sides have uh, some valid points and you really are kind of stuck in the middle. Now, on this particular one, I feel like I started out um, fair in the sense that I questioned the article because there really there weren't any sources named and and you know and now the if, you know if you've seen this but there's a lot of discussion now about you know Deep Throat was never named you know the person who we talk about Nixon the person who helped um, do that you know that was an anonymous source and, and certainly you know there was trouble with that. Um, with the uh, journalists who, you know, Woodward and Bernstein, who, uh, you know, eventually put all that information out because they had to say that their person was legitimate. But um, uh, where am I going with all that? But yeah, I mean, so I, what, what I guess turned the tide for me and one of the questions I'd asked on the Facebook site, and I would still love to hear anybody else. By the way, you can join that Facebook site if you look up the Truth or Politics podcast Facebook group. Um, you'll be able to join with that. And eventually we'll give you some information too about how to contact us when it comes to, um, calling that line. But, um, you know, I, I'd thrown out there, what would it take for you to, uh, to believe, you know, let's say in this case, this, this article, if you didn't believe it in the first place, what is it? Let, let's, let's, let's just say it ends up becoming true or, you know, again, what does it take for someone who is a staunch Trump reporter to be able to believe something like this? Is it nothing? You know, would you just never, ever believe it? You know, or are there certain elements of it that would help you believe it? Now, for me personally, uh, you know, there, there, I, what I needed was basically somebody from the other side of, of this argument to come back and do our corroboration. And, and that is exactly what happened. Um, we have the reporter from Fox, Jennifer Griffin, who is, um, at least from the circles, and I, and I admit I don't watch Fox that much or listen to Fox that much. So I, did, I wasn't necessarily aware of her as my political um, acumen grows. I'm sure there'll be more foreign correspondents and others that I will begin to learn about. But it seems like she's a very well-respected journalist on the Fox side of things. I'm not sure how the left feels about her. I'm sure they probably love her now because she corroborated this, this information. And so I've got some audio from her interview I'd like to play. And that is going to be in, let's see here, another little segment that we have that is called, What is the Truth? It seems you've forgotten my very first lesson, Doctor. When you open your mind to the impossible, sometimes you find the truth. 
my sources include two senior former Trump administration officials who were on the trip to France where these remarks allegedly were made. They confirmed key parts of the Atlantic article and certainly described a pattern of behavior by the president in describing war veterans and wounded warriors that coincides with the description in the Atlantic article. One of these former Trump administration officials told me when the president spoke about the Vietnam War, he always said it was a stupid war. Anyone who went was a sucker. According to this source, the president would often say about American veterans, what's in it for them? They don't make any money. The source said it was a character flaw of the president. He could not understand why someone would die for their country. It was not worth it to him. Multiple sources say they heard the president say something similar at Arlington National Cemetery standing in front of General John Kelly's son Robert's grave. Regarding the trip to France and to the French cemetery to mark the end of World War I, according to my source, the president was not in a good mood that day. He was furious at the French president, Macron. He questioned why he had to go to two cemeteries. Why do I have to do two? He was planning to go to one cemetery on the first day and another one the second day. When asked if the president could have driven to Ain Marne Cemetery uh, in what was described as a drizzle, the rain, the rain was a drizzle, this former official said the president drives a lot. The other world leaders drove to the cemeteries. He just didn't want to go. Separately, during a White House planning session, after seeing the Bastille Day parade in France, President Trump did not want to include in the parade, according to this source who was in the meetings, quote, wounded guys. That's not a good look. Americans don't like that, according to this source who was present again at those meetings. Um, my source also said the president just hated John McCain. He always asked, why do you see him as a hero? Multiple sources confirmed the president did not want the flags lowered after McCain died, but others in the White House ordered them at half staff. There was a standoff. I remember it. I was covering it at the Pentagon at the time. Uh, the standoff ended and the president relented with regard to the flags at half staff. Neil? So, Jennifer, let me ask you, the, 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 the gist of the Atlantic article, um, you know, you could look at the comments he has made and said, and he's on the public record, that were quite disparaging uh, when John McCain was alive and shortly after he died, even back in 2015, when he claimed he couldn't admire someone who was captured, you know, uh, that, 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 that didn't make him a hero. So he did have a, a, a track record of, of, of speaking like this. But many of the president's supporters have come out, as you know, to say this sort of back and forth um, tied to these visits to, uh, you know, military graves, particularly German graves, uh, where he, he had termed the word visiting losers. It's not the context that, that, that the Atlantic article framed it or that maybe you just framed it. What do you say? Well, I circled back with my source this morning, and he firmly said this was not a one-off. He also said that uh, there was no plan to visit the German war dead. That was not, and that the president did not even know Germans were buried in that cemetery in Ain Marne. Um, he used, uh, according to my source, he used suckers and that term uh, repeatedly to describe McCain and anyone who went to Vietnam. Um, he always described, according to the source, Vietnam vets as those who couldn't get out of it. And he would often say to his advisors when they suggested that he would go to visit the war dead, what what is it about you guys and guys who get killed? So there was a, uh, he used losers, it, uh, that's a big part of the president's vernacular. I think anyone who's been around him knows that. Um, and again, uh, 
there are multiple instances within that article, multiple uh, issues, with, particularly with regards to the way he described wounded warriors in that meeting to plan the uh, July 4th parade that uh, once confirmed by people who were in the meeting, uh, really is pretty eye-raising because, you know, I've worked with wounded warriors for a long time in my role at the Pentagon, and um, it's just, it's pretty shocking when you hear this kind of terminology used to describe them. You know, um, Jennifer, I'm not sure you're aware, but the president has been tweeting about you, um, saying that Jennifer Griffin should be fired for this kind of reporting, never even called us for a comment. Fox News is gone. What do you think of that? <laughs> Well, first of all, um, I was in constant contact. John Roberts was working his sources at the White House. I was working my sources. And we teamed up, as you saw at the top of Brett Baer's show, and our reports were right. straight down the middle, as always. You know, Neil, these, um, it didn't make what he said untrue. My sources are not anonymous to me, and I doubt they are anonymous to the president. One of the arguments for those sources, and I certainly don't want you to expose them on air, and we only read a lot into his relative silence, is John Kelly, his former chief of staff. He has not said anything about this. But is it, is it fair to say that these aren't just people who are around him? John Bolton made the comment that when, when they were in, in France, um, he was there with the president. None of this transpired or this language never transpired. But is it fair to say... It could be other people around him more than, than John Bolton was at the time, um, that, that, that there are more people talking about this than we know. I think it's plausible to think that the president might have had conversations that didn't involve, uh, you know, 10, 15 people. And so um, you can um, imagine that um, not everyone was always involved in every conversation. But I can, I can tell you that my, my sources are unimpeachable. I feel very confident with what uh, we have reported at Fox. Um, not every line of the Atlantic article was, did I confirm, but I would say that um, most of the, the descriptions and the quotes in that Atlantic article, um, I did find people who were able to confirm. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I feel very confident in my reporting. Of course, you know, it's always better when people come on camera, but you can see how uh, people get destroyed when they get uh, crosswise with the president and on, uh, and they come out. And so people are reluctant. They've seen the, the way, uh, the, the language that used to describe people and the way, uh, you know, Twitter has been weaponized against them. And I think they just don't feel they need that kind of uh, grief right now. But what they're saying, they feel very strongly is accurate. They were there and I'm a reporter and it was my job to report what I heard. And Jennifer, you're a very good reporter. And then some Jennifer Griffin following a story here. Uh, she's pretty scrupulous when it comes to, to making sure all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. A little more after this. All right, everybody. Well, that about wraps up part one of the Atlantic article. We will be back very shortly with part two and continue on with our comments about Jennifer Goodwin's article. And we will, or excuse me, about Jennifer Goodwin's comments. And we will continue on that particular conversation. We've also got some phone calls from some people, some feedback, and look forward to listening to those. Thank you once again for tuning in to us. We really appreciate your feedback. Remember, you can reach us at truthorpoliticspodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 662-374-0778. And you can give us a little, little mention on our Facebook group site. 
and let us know what's going on there. That site is called The Truth or Politics Podcast. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great day. And remember, in politics, there are two sides to every story. It's their side of the story. It's your side of the story. And somewhere in the middle lies the truth. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. I'm not going to continue trying to respond to these repetitions of the falsehoods that have already been stated here. Read my lips. No new taxes. Our politics seems more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and outright fabrication. We choose truth over facts. Some of the most dishonest people in media are the so-called fact checkers. We will keep this promise to the American people. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan, period. They're just totally distorting everything possible.